The following has been brought to you by SJP World Media. And welcome to the Doctor Who pod, our first proper story of our fourth season after last week's wonderful draft episode, suitably entitled Drafty Drafty. But there we go. (laughs) (laughs) My name is Cy and joining me as always is my partner in time, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are you, my friend? Just like the master is never truly gone and never truly dead, you can't get rid of me that easy. Uh, I had some health problems this week. I've had a little hospital stay, but I'm back and I'm. Be- I was going to say better than ever, but you know, I wasn't that good to begin with. But yeah, I'm here. I, th- I thought the hospital stay would be the worst thing to happen to me this week, but it turns out it's trying to sort out Skype, Streamyard, and shitty internet to get this recording going. My God, I mean, do a little bit of a peek behind the curtain, I suppose. Half past two, we uh, arranged to meet online. Didn't we? Is that the phrase? Meet online. That's right, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, Half past two, and it is now coming up to ten past three, and we've only just managed to start the episode. So that says about the issues we have had. But this also coincides with that uh, alarm that the government has sent out to everyone's phones, which I forgot was happening, and Dan had the pleasure of hearing me basically shit myself, and my phone started (laughs) screaming at me. Yeah, that that'll be on the bonus episode that we release when we uh, when we put out just how much we go through to bring you these episodes. Exactly, exactly. Uh, on today's show, then it is a story from Classic Who, uh, and I suppose quite kind of weirdly, and we touched upon it last week. We're starting this season, our fourth season of the Doctor Who pod, with a Sylvester McCoy story. And you consider how we do things now, and it's all at random with the roll of a dice. We started last season with a Sylvester McCoy story as well, which is it's, that, that's weird to me. The universe wants us to get more McCoy in early. What can I say? There we go. The story we are looking at is actually the 25th anniversary story, Silver Nemesis. First broadcast on, well, episode one of the three-part story was first broadcast on the 23rd of November, 1988, which was the uh, 25th anniversary of the very first episode airing. And we have Sylvester McCoy, and we have Ace, and we have Cybermen. And this is the story that we've touched upon numerous times throughout this run of this podcast that I remember giving me nightmares when I was a kid. So that's why we, I was, I would have been seven, uh, yeah, seven years of age when this aired. And I can remember basically having nightmares and my mum and dad having a serious conversation about whether they were going to let me watch Doctor Who anymore because I was waking them up all week screaming in the night. So. Yeah, the episodes that made little side, little side Trump a lump in his pyjamas. Indeed, in my Street Hawk pyjamas. Do you remember Street Hawk? Nope, I'm too young. Street Hawk was like Night Rider, but of a motorbike. Oh, so less practical. Yeah, and they made, they only made like 12 episodes, but I loved Street Hawk, and I had Street Hawk pyjamas. Cool name, though, I'll give them it, that. I'll give them that. Yeah, 
I, I imagine if you can find it and you watch it back now, it's probably shit. But I loved it at the time, so. Go it. I'm, I'm looking it up. Sai wants to um, kind of blast through this so he can watch United get beat by Brighton in semi-final, but I want to see Street Hawk now. <laughs> Coming soon on SJP World Media, Street Hawk, the podcast. <laughs> well, hey, at least it'll, it'll only be a limited run. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is it. This is it. The um, the bike itself, apparently, as well, it was set up with like this massive monster, you know, of technology and huge, powerful motorbike and so on. But because they put so much gear on it to make it look that way, it was actually like a really small, low power engine bike. Otherwise, it, way, it wouldn't. It looks function. like a. It looks like a one two five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Anyway, away from Street Hawk, let's yes. get into the episode that made you a. Uh, just jubbering mess. Yeah, and a little bit of clarity as well, I suppose. Uh, this is the first classic Who story Charlie sat down to watch with me. Her interest was piqued because we only got one episode left of our watchback of New Who. Now, we've got literally the last episode with Ace and Sylvester McCoy in there, so I was quite interested to get her to watch this before that. Mm-hmm. But her interest was piqued because she knows the story about this scaring me as a child, so she wanted to watch it. So, and, I, I, and what kid doesn't want to see the parents shit the pants? Yeah, yeah. And looking back now, the the, the scene that I had in my head that I remember relatively well as giving me the nightmares doesn't actually exist. Are you telling me your memory's somewhat deficient, Si? I would have never have guessed. Yeah, it, I don't know whether it's... I'm piecing together bits of different stories. or I mean, the, the scenery and so on in this story, and there are moments in this story that hint at what I had nightmares about, but the mm. actual scene that I remember in my head as scaring me didn't exist. It wasn't on the show. So it must be like the Mandela effect kind of thing, you know? Well, no, because Mandela effect has to be amongst a population. Your memory is just crap. Okay, so yeah, it's more like a, <laughs> a memory crap sort of thing, you know? <laughs> I, I believe it's called a brain fart. Yeah, yeah, but there we go. Ah, so then, the show begins with the very 80s style graphics and 80s synth music. Um, I'm, get, I'm getting to really like this, by the way. I love it. I don't know if it's I a just, nostalgia thing or, or what, but I love it. I just wish the logo wasn't shit. Yeah, it's not a good one, is it? Well, I know, I know it's sorry. That was really dismissive because I know it's your doctor and all of that, but and and you actually like it, but it's just, I just can't get my head around it. Mm, it's a little bit of an odd one. Um, at this point, uh, Charlie's got a thing about the 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 intros to Doctor. Like mm. you and I speak about the various intros all the time because we're jumping back and forth in in sixty years worth of television, uh, different eras, different times, and so on. So we always comment on the intro to the show. Yeah, Charlie has only watched New Who. And when they changed the intro for the first time, she didn't like it. So then every time they changed it afterwards, she would put forward her thoughts on the new intro. So it was almost like how you and I talk on here, Dan. So when she watched this, I looked at her as as the intro finished and it said Silver Nemesis part one and the show began. I sort of half looked at her to see what her reaction would be. And she went, huh, that was nowhere near as bad and as old as I thought it was going to be. (laughs) Which is about the highest praise you're going to get, really. I think so. I think so. This show is going to be peppered with a couple of thoughts from Charlie, I think, as well, because getting her viewpoint. Oh, yeah. This TV to, to is be honest, quite interesting. I'm, I'm pretty sure our listeners give more of a shit about what Charlie thinks than us. So. 
I was trying to get her to put the the additional headset on and speak to us, but she's still not confident enough yet. But there we go. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> uh, effectively, the gist of this story is there is a meteorite circling Earth, and it comes um, back towards Earth every twenty five years, and it's containing a statue, a statue, effectively named Nemesis which is made out of this living metal that whoever owns it or controls it basically has incredible powers and so on. For it to be activated, you need three items altogether. There's the statue itself, and there's a silver arrow and a silver bow, and these are scattered in, in different well, different places and times, Dan, I guess, aren't they? Yeah, um, but before we get to that, because this is our show and we notice these running themes throughout... We're straight in with the Nazis. <laughs> yes, and they are literal Nazis. It's not us yeah. just going, oh, Nazis. They are li- literally, they are Nazis. The, the swastikas there, the, they're, after the, they're after the Fourth Reich. It's um, it's a guy called Anton Diffring who's playing one of the main characters, uh, Herr de Flores, and he was actually in a couple of famous uh, war movies. He was in Where Eagles Dare and Escape to Victory, and this was his last role before he died. Ah, uh, okay. Something I read as well about that fella is that he was a big tennis fan. Have you heard this, Dan? No. Okay, he was a big tennis fan. And I think, I don't know where he lived, whether it was Spain or France. He had like a villa somewhere. And he was a big tennis fan, and he had no interest in taking this role, no interest in being a part of Doctor Who, and didn't like the script when it was sent to him. But then read that filming would coincide with the Wimbledon tennis tournament. (laughs) And apparently he couldn't pick up that tennis tournament on his television in his villa where he was so took the role so they would put him up in a hotel or put him up in digs and he could earn some money and get to watch Wimbledon tennis tournament and that's the sole reason why he took the role apparently I respect that that's brilliant isn't it that's a proper little side hustle that is you know (laughs) yeah that's excellent I love that really good good man well done Anton yeah I mean we, we first see the Doctor as well, don't we? It, I mean, something that's going to pop up a few times in this story, I think, is that I really hate jazz. Okay. And we see the Doctor and Ace listening to jazz, don't we? And this is where really? we, we've, we've first come across them. And the Doctor has an alarm that goes off to remind him of something, but he can't quite remember what. <laughs> yeah. But he's given it, what was it? He gave it a... Uh... A terminal rating, so he knows he knows some planet somewhere is under attack. Yeah, he actually explains it as some planet somewhere faces imminent destruction, and so that sounds really dramatic and scary and horrid. And Ace asks, "Well, which one?" And he's like, eh, "I don't really know." <laughs> <laughs> it's somewhere, it's somewhere, somewhere. But we, it, this is one of those serials where we've got like we've essentially got three different stories running parallel to each other mm. uh, and intertwining and and. And, and you know, and crossing over and touching, and that, and I really like it. It's it's the sort of storytelling that I love, because to to go along with the Doctor and and, and Ace and then and the Nazis, we've we've got a woman th- uh, and her servant three hundred and fifty years in the past, in sixteen thirty eight in Windsor, and she's quite obviously a knobhead. Yes, with the way she treats people, and um, she's got an old fella there doing calculations about this comet and. He's, you know, he's obviously highly intelligent, thinking about flying machines, and he could change the world and all this. And he figures out that Nemesis will land again on the twenty third of November, nineteen eighty eight. 
So it's it's real clever how they intertwine all the stories and and, and keep it crossing over. And it, so just to get like a general point out of the way pretty early that I'll come back to, it moves along at a fair clip, but it never feels you never feel lost. It's one of those where you're taken along for the ride rather than left behind wondering. Uh, okay, yeah, I, I guess that's I guess that's right. Um, I I think as well. I mean, it's, I suppose it's a bit of a negative that maybe turns into a positive with this. I think as well that the story isn't massively complex. Mm, yeah. I don't think there's much going on here. It's literally uh, the Nazis have the bow. There's this meteorite that has a statue in it. The um, this this lady from the past, uh, who, by the way, I've been scanning my notes as we've been trying to get past our internet issues, and I realised I've made a million and one spelling mistakes, and I've called this person about five different names her name is lady plainfort okay so the first one i've got here is lady pinefold so that's <laughs> not quite right but just bear that in mind as i'm talking in case i say the wrong words but yeah she has the arrow the nazis have the bow the meteorite has the statue inside it and everyone's trying to just get all the bits and put it together it's yeah. kind of the gist of it and it doesn't really go much deeper than that i don't think dan for me no, Nemesis is Nemesis is highly powerful. Everybody wants Nemesis. Everybody's got their own plots. Let's go for it. Winner takes all. Mm. Apparently, the living metal that Nemesis is made from is something to do with the defences of Gallifrey from way back when. Yeah, validity. Yeah, and that's like the power. That's why it has the power that it has, and so on. So that's uh, quite interesting. And Lady Penfold, whatever it is, Lady, she, um, Lady Pinafore. Lady Pinafore. She um uh, she also seems to know the Doctor from uh, previous times. Is aware of his history and aware of his secrets. Now this is hinted at quite a bit throughout this three part story. Mm, and it is. The gist was that the Doctor was going to start to become a bit more of a... I mean, we mentioned it before on our Sylvester McCoy uh, look-back episodes. The Doctor himself was going to become a bit more of a, a mysterious, slightly darker character. How the Doctor almost started out back in the 60s. That's how they, mm. certain writers wanted to take them back to. One person even wrote into the script for this story that the Doctor was going to be revealed to either be God or a God-like creature. But that was dropped by, um, I think it's Nathan, is it Nathan Turner, the producer or, or director. Yeah, yeah I, think, he, I think that's a name, yeah. Yeah, he, he cut it out saying that we ain't, we ain't getting involved in anything really just like that. Thank fuck for that. Yeah, exactly. And because th this is uh, season 25, we have one more season after this and the, 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 the show is cancelled. These kind of story arcs and, and the mystery behind the Doctor and putting a bit more... Uh, almost edginess and darkness into the character and having this mystery and aura around him never develops because mm -hmm. it's because it gets canned. So it very much is a case of in the later stories and the later episodes, we have these comments, these conversations, these, these almost throwaway sentences hinting at this new, almost new background or returning background for the, for the character of the doctor that never really develops into anything done. Bit frustrating that really, but I'm glad I'm glad it never came came through that way. Um although you say I say that, it's kind of come full circle all these years later because now with the with flux and the revelation of the doctor being the timeless child and, and all of that, effectively the doctor is a mythical being now amongst yes. amongst time lords. 
So yes. I just think I think it's more in the framing on how you do that sort of thing. And I'm not sure being like you know God or deity or maybe even a devil, you know, would have uh, would have sat very well. Yeah, it don't sit well for me, mate. It don't sit well for me. But there we go. Uh, the Doctor realises that the, the planet that is facing imminent destruction, lo and behold, surprise, surprise, is, of course, Earth, because why wouldn't it be? Yeah, and, did, you, <laughs> did you see what he, what did you pick up on what he used for um, yes. to do that? It was a t- it's supposed to be a tape deck that he made ace, but it's also a transmitter and a, a, does about a million other things. And it just got me thinking about modern Who and particularly in the 50th, 50th anniversary where tenants got that um, got that device that detects shapeshifters and goes ding, but it can boil an egg at... Yeah. Uh, no, no, it can read comics from the future and something like that. And it's just like, oh, I love it. It's it's really it's really nice. <laughs> the Ace, uh, Ace's Ghetto Blaster, a boombox. It's a very 80s thing, isn't it? Of course. That's but she, she had one previously that the doctor ended up blowing up. I think it was battling the Daleks and a couple of stories previously, but that could yeah. be, could be wrong. So this is why he's rebuilt this one for her. Cause it was a big part of her character and, and so on. And Ace in this story is Ace. How I remember her, the bomber jacket, the explosives. She says at one point that she is scared, but she's also incredibly brave and attacks the Cybermen with a catapult and all this kind of a slingshot or whatever it may well be. This is the ace I remember, Dan, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I really loved Ace in this episode. She was she was brilliant. And I, I, just even down to giving the Doctor a little bit of shit, you know, when he, she went and got a, a tape autographed by the uh, by the jazz band, and he says, don't you find it embarrassing asking for autographs? And then he, uh, and, and she says, not nearly as embarrassing as forgetting why I set my alarm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, and there's no mention of wind through her drawers whatsoever. So we're happy about that. Thank uh, God. <laughs> uh, the, the meteorite crashes, luckily enough, very close to where the Doctor and Ace are. So they haven't got to do much traveling, I suppose. And the police arrive. And then they get gassed by what looks like Tolkien powder? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> Sorry, excuse me, that caught me off guard. Um, but all this time as well, just to go, just to roll back a little bit, the uh, lady, um, uh, lady Pinstripe and her, and her servant Richard have killed the old fellow who was calculating for them oh, and, yes. and somehow drank a potion to travel in time, used his blood in the potion mm-hmm. and appeared 350 years in the future, still in what was her house, but is now a cafe in Windsor. Yes, I enjoyed that. Just appearing in the same spot and screaming. Uh, yeah, yeah, and everyone just kind of sits there and looks at them. Nobody really panics, do they? Very British. We'll just carry on with our tea and ignore that. <laughs> That's silly nonsense. <laughs> yeah, I don't know who these are, but not now to do with us. Um, and just one line from the Doctor as well, when he realizes that it is Earth. And Ace is kind of pissed off with him, saying, how, how could you forget? How long have you known? And he says, well, as the chronometer flies since 23rd of November, 1638. <laughs> <laughs> and he calls his miscalculation the worst calculation since life crawled out of the seas on this sad little planet. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit out of character because it was almost, uh, not dismissive, but almost a bit rude about the human race. And he's the Doctor's always been very fond of the human race. Yeah, but, you know, I can, I can understand. Um <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we're, we're not brilliant as a species 
Um, no, that is true. That is one true. thing. One thing I did like though was when the uh, when Ace and the Doctor were so sort of, they were basically in the vaults of Windsor Castle. Yes, materialised in there and they're looking for looking for something, looking for a silver bow to borrow. And Ace is walking around wearing a fez. Yeah, I, I, Charlie pointed that out to me. Charlie went, "Oh look, fez." Yeah. So now I'm wondering was was the fez with Matt Smith a um, you know a bit of a nod. And a, a bit of a harken back to uh, to that. I'm, I'm maybe grasping at straws, and it, it is just a random fez. But no, I, in my head, it, in, in my head, that's what's happened. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's all head cannon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, they they see the queen as well, don't they? Or a a lookalike of the queen. Yes. Yeah. I thought. No, I, I did wonder if they were going to tr- have somebody play uh, Queen Elizabeth, but I'm kind of glad they didn't because it's just a bit more realistic. I, I know it's daft to say realism in, in a programme like this, but it's kind of nice that it was it was a brush with history, yes. you know, a, a brush with somebody incredibly famous. Yes, they apparently the original production tried to get Prince Andrew involved. Oof. And he was involved with a, a production company and um, a, a, t- a television company production company of some sort or theatre of some sort must have, um, been kid, must have been kids TV oh maybe and, uh, <laughs> you, can, you, you can cut that out if you want if you don't yeah. if you don't fancy any uh, any any libel claims <laughs> hey, you said it not me and we <laughs> it's on your network ah oh, shit um <laughs> they tried to get him involved but he basically that they came back no that it wasn't possible he was working on something else at the time which is why they then went for the uh, I suppose lookalike of the Queen, and also they were refused um, the refused. Oh, I can't forget the word now. Entry filming rights permission. So, there we go. They, they they were refused permission to film at Windsor Castle. So whereas the uh, outer shots are of Windsor Castle to give you the idea that it's you know where they are, the mm. shots inside the castle is actually somewhere completely different because they weren't allowed to film in there. Because apparently, I don't know if this is still true, but when this was made in 88, you were only allowed to film inside Windsor Castle if your if your TV show or the or the, the project you were working on was deemed to be educational or of a documentary theme. Oh, so right. something like this, they weren't allowed to film inside. Interesting. No, I don't know. Um, just royal family and television related. Um, I'm obviously uh, up in uh, up in York, and uh, they've been using York Minster to film uh, to film the Crown. Okay. Um, and uh, I think they're trying to make it look like uh, Westminster Abbey. Ah, uh, interesting. Yeah, I've not actually gone down and had a look because, well, I was I was otherwise engaged, shall we say? <laughs> yes, fair enough. Fair enough. Try, try not, try not, not Andrew. Oh, thank God for that. Prince Edward, not Andrew. Sorry. Yes, I got that completely wrong. I'm just looking at my notes now. But yeah, I got that completely wrong because I am a, an unprofessional client. Um, <laughs> and I wouldn't else, have you any other way. Thank you very much. Somebody, you might get a little kick out of this one, actually, Dan, as well. Somebody else who was uh, approached to be in this episode for the 25th anniversary was uh, Larry Hagman, who played JR from Dallas. All right, okay. And the reason you may get a kick out of this is because Hangman's uh, Hagman's sorry, Hangman. <laughs> Hangman, yeah, Hangman Adam Page was going to be in. He'd have been like four years of age at this point. Um, Hagman's representatives were uh, they were given the, the BBC and, and the producers of Doctor Who and, and so on were given the details and put in contact via uh, Kate O'Mara, who played the Rani. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, brilliant! Who also worked on 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 I know Dynasty and Dallas are different shows, but it was very much similar elk, and they kept same circles and so on. Yeah. Uh, but good old J.R. Ewing couldn't make it; he was working on something else, and that's why when we see later on in the story, the the two time travelers from the past getting in the American tourist's car, we and have the, ter- the terrible Joan Rivers in person here. Yes, that character there was initially going to be a male character played by uh, JR from, from Dallas. That's pretty cool, to be fair. I do have one thing uh, to mention, since we're talking about Windsor Castle and, and casting and things like that, because at one point, uh, Ace and the Doctor come back to the future and materialise right outside Windsor Castle just as a tour group is going past. Yes. And I had a look. You can't really see anybody's face. But in that group listed uncredited and ultimately doesn't notice the TARDIS or the doctor or make any um you know make any sign whatsoever is uh, is Nicholas Courtney yes who played the brigadier and that blew my mind that is amazing isn't it now when I, when I read that before watching I really looked out for him but I couldn't see him so did I yeah I was, I was kind of hoping you hadn't seen that because uh, that's what I messaged you about saying about the cast. And I was just like, ah, okay. Ah, damn. But anyway, really nice little touch. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I would have loved it. I would have loved it if we'd have just had like, seen Nicholas Carney in the group, have like a little, sm- just watching the doctor run past with Ace, seeing the TARDIS and just smiling to himself. One of those old fashioned big cameras hanging around his neck like they used to have, you know? Yeah. Yeah, like, but like, obviously, we, we used to see him in his in his military gear, but like, just in his civvies, like cargo shorts, preferably socks and sandals. Oh my god, I was literally about to say the brigadier is blatantly a socks and sandals dude. He'd ha- he'd have to have, I reckon he'd have some sort of fishing hat on as well. Yeah, um, apparently in that crowd as well, they included the um, directors Andrew Morgan and Peter Moffat, and one of the writers Graham Curry a production yeah. manager uh, called Ian Fraser, a production unit manager named Kathleen Bidmead, and Anthony Ainley, who, was, who obviously we know as the master. Anthony Ainley was in there? No, no, no. Anthony Ainley and um, a former writer named Stephen Wyatt were also asked to be in that little crowd as a little okay. nod back to the the old, uh, the older episodes, the 25th anniversary and so on. But they couldn't get there to be there, which is a real shame. Oh, man. I love that. I, I didn't realise it until you said it in the, earlier in the recording. I didn't even realise this was the 25th anniversary. It didn't twig. Okay. But yeah, I'm I'm absolutely loving all these little tidbits, and I'm quite liking that we're just sort of bouncing around uh, on this because this is that's very much what the um, what the story does. You know, from time zone to yes. time zone, from from story to story. But it, it all sort of converges. You know, after the police are, are knocked out, and we've got. Um, uh, we've got Lady uh, Lady Pinecone and, and Richard, and then uh, and the Doctor and Ace all converging on this on the crash site. Um, we did get a bit of wee woo beat boop uh, from the Doctor explaining Validium. You've got to have a sufficient quantity, a critical mass, to activate it, so it's no good without the bow and arrow. Mm. Uh, of course, we all know that. Lady Pinterest has the uh, has the arrow. Um, the Nazis have the bow, and the obviously the. Um, uh, the the statue itself's just crashed, and yeah, just it, it. And there's been like electricity drains and all sorts. So as all these sort of parties are converging on the um, uh, on the on the asteroid on the statue, uh, 
the spaceship. Yes. <laughs> and yes. lo and behold, Cybermen. And what a great cliffhanger. I thought it was fantastic. And this is, again, another moment when I'm looking at Charlie, because this is the, the first... I mean, we've had little bits of special effects with regards to um, Lady Popsicle and whatever, whatever and Richard. Uh, I'm, glad you've, I'm glad you've picked up on what I was doing with that. Yes. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, they're sort of glowing and flashing lights and screaming time travel. And a few other bits and bobs, like the, the, the boombox stereo projecting the scanner, which I thought looked pretty effective, considering this is, is you know 35-year-old yeah. television. But this is the first real big moment of special effects. And it, it's obviously a model that's been kind of added into the shot. And they've got the grass moving on the floor. So some poor bugger's probably led there with a little fan wafting the grass around or something to make it look like it's, <laughs> it's coming down to land. And I, I sort of said to Charlie afterwards, what did you think of that? And she sort of looked at it for a bit. She, she does this thing, similar to my dad in a way. She, I think she gets it from my dad, her granddad, where she sort of, sort of tilts her head to the left a little bit when she's in thought. Mm. and she looked at it looked at me and went it wasn't the best daddy was it <laughs> and i was like well okay. <laughs> oh god yeah it, just stuff like that's from, from kids stuff like that's brilliant like I'm, uh, my nieces are obviously very young but i'm starting to you know pick up on on little bits and pieces they're doing it's it's just so so good when they've got when they get that deep in thought look on the face and stuff like that it's 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 brilliant until it's, until it's happened at breakfast today, my niece looks at me and points directly at my beard and just goes, I found a grey hair. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> I love her oh. to bits, though. She's ace. Um, the Cybermen themselves, Charlie was impressed with, though. She actually, mm. the, Without even me asking her or prompting her or trying to get any interaction from her, when they start walking out of the ship, uh, and this is a very 80s looking Cyberman. They've got the bigger helmet on and they've got the, the sort of more, <laughs> hey, and they've got the more sort of, um, I suppose, vinyl esque clothing to them rather than being fully robotic and so on. Yeah. And they've got the chest plates and, and all this. And Charlie actually said to me, Whoa, they look pretty cool, actually. So she wasn't scared of them. She thought they looked good. She was, just, the design she, was just, she was just impressed they didn't look dog shit. Oh, totally. I think that's exactly what she was getting at. <laughs> but you're right. Like, as far as cliffhangers go, I thought that was really good. I mean, the Cybermen hadn't been seen for, for quite a while uh, in Doctor Who at this point. So if you're watching this and that ship lands and the doors open, because it's quite a slow reveal as well from the first time you see the ship to the yeah. doors opening. And there's, there's quite a few moments that pass before they actually emerge and you realize what they are. That, as, as a Doctor Who fan in that time, would have been pretty spectacular, I would have thought. Yeah, absolutely. Brilliant stuff. A great, great reveal, because it's not obviously a cyber ship either. No. Um, and, it, you know, it's a great reveal. You think, oh, brilliant, what's going to happen next week? And then the next week just opens with a massive firefight, and you've got, like, Cybermen versus Nazis, which sounds like a really bad, like, straight-to-DVD um, you know, <laughs> horror film. And... It's it's just all action from the get go. The Doctor and, and Ace are doing something inside, you know, in the crater site. Um, not not in that way, perverts. Um, <laughs> a tear, Sarah Jane. Yes, quite. Let's not do that again, <sighs> Alonzi. Um, <clears throat> But all the while, all this is going on, and there's, it's a lot of action, loads of big, big explosions, and amidst it all, um, 
uh, lady panhandles just there firing arrows at Cybermen and killing them when the Nazis yeah. are firing off Uzis and shit because she's got gold and poison-tipped arrows. Yes, and she thinks it's down to the poison, doesn't she? But obviously, we know uh, ourselves that the Cybermen don't react well with gold. But it, it clogs up their breathing apparatus. I think is how it's explained in one episode. Yeah, somewhat like that. Yeah. So basically, if you want, if you want to defeat Cybermen, uh, getting pissed on Goldschlager. Mm-hmm. Oh, there you go. There you go. Imagine yeah. you like drinking with a Cyberman. <laughs> Questioning the logic of it all, and you're just there like, yeah, same, mate, I don't understand it either, but I'm doing it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, one thing I did like as well is that the Doctor uses the, uses the chaos to nick the silver bow. Yes. And the and the Nazis don't realise. No, but it's a, in a case, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> when when they were like the Nazis were getting ready to move out in the previous episode, and he takes the um, he's got the bow in his hand. I, I think I looked away briefly, and then I turned back, and the guy's grabbing like a silver case. I thought, like, what is he taking his snooker cues as well? <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know. I don't know why I expected just a, a little game to break out. Um, <laughs> and we see later on that the only game that gets referenced in this is uh, is chess. Yeah, this is uh, when we looked at the Curse of Fenric. There's references to that, the, the chess playing with um, uh, uh, Lady Pencil, whatever, and and the the, the on running games and so on. There's references in the Curse of Fenric back to this. The Doctor right, mentions okay. her once or twice, but I can't remember exactly what it was, or I can't remember exactly exactly the reference but i know there was something we'll have to um we'll have to have a little look back into that i think yeah i like that kind of interplay between stories because i think all too often in tv in general um a lot of series are guilty of of forgetting previous stories and, and only bringing them up when convenient but just to have a random mention um as, as if the doctors just suddenly thought oh yeah and to bring us in bring the audience in on that sort of reminiscing i think it's always a really nice touch yes Yes, exactly. It's really good. And the Doctor, again, I like this as well. The Doctor uses the jazz tape from earlier on in the episode that Ace got signed. Yeah. To play in the boombox scanner thingamy. Transmitter. Yeah, to to block the Cybermen sending signals out to whoever they're sending signals to, because we don't quite know exactly what's going on yet, do we? I think the doctor's pretty much figured that it's, there's there's a cyber fleet out there that are uh, that are going to you know ruin everybody's day. Um, it's just the fact that later in the I think it's in part three we find out that the Cybermen are trying to decipher what the noise is, and they, it, it turns out they're undone because they just don't understand jazz. <laughs> I don't understand jazz. Um, I, I've I've heard a few bits and pieces that were quite decent, but it's not a not a genre I'd go out of my way to. Uh, to listen to really but it somebody just... once sorry somebody once tried to explain it to me as you got to listen to the notes that they don't play and i was like what the fuck are you talking about that just sounds like pretentious twattery yeah it, it was i think it was sorry carry on <laughs> i've completely lost my train of thought now um but yeah just you know sort of playing on the old trope that jazz is, is ultimately a tuneful nonsense um and yeah just really really fun little thing and much as we see when the Doctor's examining the chess set, this whole three-part series, which in itself I think is rare to have three-parter. Yeah, I um, thought it was a four-parter. I'd, I'd, I'd set aside time. Charlie had plans with one of her, one of her friends, mm. uh, so I set aside time to watch all four parts. 
And then when I looked, press play, and it you know brought it up on the old ITVX thingy that I've got, and it said it was a three-parter. I was like, it completely, it completely blew my mind. I was like, whoa, okay, I didn't expect that at all. Really strange. Yeah, um, but it, it it always it feels like every like say everybody's got the schemes, everybody's got the plots, and they're all coming together to a culmination at some point. And I, it's just so well paced. I mean, this, I was thinking about this just before we recorded. This could have easily had more stuff put in it and being made into a feature length for parter or a movie. Yeah. It could have equally had a couple of elements taken out and been a 45 minute modern day one parter mm. and not and not really suffered either way. Which I think says a lot about the story they were telling and how well they told it. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I, I think again we mentioned it quite early on when we started talking about this. I I don't know I don't know whether it is because these episodes are like, you know, the, the sort of 23, 24, 25 minutes and there's only three of them mm. or the fact we come down to that. The story, I, I don't want to say the story was weak because I don't think it really was, but there just wasn't a lot. Of, there was a lot going on. There was a lot of depth to it. It was quite a simple tale. They were trying to tell. You mentioned that it did move along at quite a pace without ever really feeling like you were getting lost in that. There were moments where I felt it moved along at quite a pace and even then, nothing was really happening. Fair, so you felt it was spinning its wheels occasionally. Yeah, almost like there wasn't. It almost like it needed something more. Uh, again, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say it was a weak story, but I think there could have been one or two, m- m- one or two more things added to it to sort of give it a bit more depth. Yeah, potentially. I, I would have liked a bit more on the origins of Nemesis. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah, that would work. And, and and how Nemesis came to be there and came to exist because we get a vague explanation that Validium was created as the ultimate defense back on Gallifrey back in the early times, created by Omega and Rassilon. But that's all wrapped up in about ten seconds, and that the Doctor had to, for reasons, send it into space. Yeah. For so, but but what were the reasons? You know, give us a bit of background. The scene where the scene towards the end, where um, where Lady Pancakes is going to, um, you know, reveal the Doctor's secrets <laughs> and stuff Pancakes. like that. <laughs> I knew that tickle you. Um, you know, actually have a bit come out about that. Have a, have a bit of drama. Have have Ace confront the Doctor about it. Later, you know, maybe after the fact. And if you are building to this, this or you know, alluding to a, a darker side to the Doctor the ends of the, the ideal place to do it where they can sit down and have that moment and maybe just have leave the audience sort of happy that the good guys have won but really thinking about what the future holds for the doctor yeah yeah very true it, i just uh, more about nemesis i think you're absolutely you're really onto something there that would have really i don't know again if it was planned for future stories maybe it felt like it it felt like there was a lot left unsaid that would have been covered at a later date if not for the fact that they then decided to have nemesis ultimately explode Mm. yeah but then we don't but then we don't know if nemesis was definitely destroyed no it's kind of left quite open-ended isn't it like that yeah, which which does make me think there was either more to come or, or just stuff that they they didn't have the time or budget to to realise. Mm. 
Uh, a couple of characters I wanted to ask you about as well, Dan, was at one point um, uh, Richard and Lady Paraffin get, um, well, stopped in the street. And they're effectively mugged by a couple of bomber jack- jacket-wearing um, thugs, or they're tempted to be mugged. And these thugs end up um, stripped and hanging by their ankles from a tree. Those two characters there, they 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 were, they were a bit wonky clonky for me. Yeah, I thought they were like the the British version of the two goons from um, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. I don't know that. Did you ever watch that one in in the early? Oh, you were yeah, maybe. It, my my younger brother, who was born in eighty seven, he loved Power Rangers. He was absolutely crazy for everything Power Rangers. It was more like it was my younger brother's thing than my thing. Okay, so there's, I can't remember what they were called now, but there was two dudes in Power Rangers, and they were, they were like your bumbling thug kind. Okay. Um, and it just felt like them, just like dicking about, and they're, they're not really, you know, they're not really much of anything. Mm. And it ultimately was just a bit pointless. It felt like it was just a thing to just show off a little bit. You yeah. Know, for, 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 um, for, for Richard and, and for... I can't think of anything funny, so Lady Painpot. <laughs> I just you know when you immediately forget every word you've ever known beginning with a letter when you're trying to be funny. Yes. Um, <laughs> and it was right there. I could have just called the Lady Power Ranger. Oh yeah. Uh, I'll but, say it and I'll I'll edit it and cut it up and tidy it up. No, no, no. I'll, 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 <laughs> I'll leave it with my bullshit. It's uh, it is what it is. <laughs> I've let myself and my family down. <laughs> yeah, com- completely unnecessary could have used that time better for something like what we were just talking about before and and the insult was so weird as well like, what are you social workers it's like what was that all about oh god that felt like that felt very much um politically motivated didn't it Ugh, social workers you help people Ugh. yeah that was that was um, bulk bulk and skull that were the those were the thugs from uh from Power Rangers. Oh, okay. Bad <laughs> okay. names as well. I can, I, can Matt, I can name Matt Willis screaming at me from the future. <laughs> Good fug names, those two, aren't they? Yeah, Bulk and Skull, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, they're just... Yeah. A rare miss in this episode, really. Uh, we have Lady uh, Penfold and Richard effectively arriving at their own graves as well, don't we? Which was a little bit of a... It's quite dark, that, isn't it, really? Yeah, because they're, they're stood lent against this um, this concrete monument, same to too, too, uh, too grandesque, but it, it is like a, you know, bigger it's than... Too, a, it's too big to be a gravestone, yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, and she says, oh, that's your grave, and just points at it, and it's got his name on there. And he's a bit like, oh, yeah. I thought he'd react a bit more concerned and upset at this point. Yeah, because Richard's a bit of an all-over-the-place character, isn't he? Yes. Um one minute he's terrified, the next he's not. One minute, you know, he's not reacting to certain things the way we'd expect him to. He's he's very much whatever the plot needs him to be, mm. which is a, sort of a little misstep in the writing. So again, these are nitpicks, though. You know, there's a, there's a lot to love about this this three parter, and again, it's just another one of those things where um, where Lady Pantyhose has, has like figured this out. She knows where she's going to be. She's left orders for a death. <laughs> you are laughing just because of Pantyhose, aren't you? I am. <laughs> yeah. you know, she's left these instructions, so this is all part of her game. The Cybermen think they've got the upper hand because they're luring people in. 
she's exactly where she wants to be and there's hidden doors and, and exits and potentially weapons all over the place. And you're kind of left wondering what the Doctor knows. Because you know the Doctor knows something. Yeah, and I think that's a that's a reoccurring theme with a lot of the later episodes in McCoy's run. Uh, we see certain things with Ace's past and so on as well, with different stories, where the Doctor knows more than he's letting on. And that's, uh, uh, there's one particular tale that I have in mind that we should look at, hopefully, um, very soon, where the Doctor is almost downright mean with regards mm. to knowing what's going on and putting Ace in scenarios that he knows is going to make her uncomfortable to, to almost under the premise of having her confront something from her past. I think it's Ghostlight, it's called. I'm not sure. Mm, but fair enough. It, 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 there's, again, I think it's these, these efforts to almost change the Doctor's character to a degree that we never really see the end game of because the show got cancelled. Yeah, which is a great shame. Mm. Um and then, do you know what? We haven't mentioned the Nazis for a while. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the old uh, old Nazi bollocks, um, Herr Flores, has sort of clocked what's going on with the gold as well, and he's got a handful of, of gold sort of shavings on his person, but he's also trying to start a, an alliance with the Cybermen because um, the Cybermen have, have kind of t- made a tactical retreat, and again, it's it's all sub- subterfuge and all that. So while it's a, while it's a simple story, effectively, everybody wants the nemesis. And you say not a lot happens. There's still a fair bit of double crossing going on, and, and mm. sort of the machinations and the, and the threat of the cyber fleet and, and stuff like that. I think it's just it's never it's it's it, it's shown to you. It's not told to you. It's just left running in the background, and then you're like, "Oh yeah, that bit. Oh yeah, that bit." You know, and all of that. It's. Um, I still think very well done. But one thing I did love was uh, the exchange that the Doctor and Ace had um, about the Nitro Nine. Yes, this when, she, when he's, <laughs> the Doctor asks if Ace has ignored his instructions and prepped some Nitro Nine, and if she's irresponsible enough to have any honour, and she she just, of course not, I'm a good girl, like, bullshit, and he just <laughs> and the Doctor just goes, excellent, destroy that vehicle. Yeah, <laughs> but it's it made me think of the uh, of power of the Doctor when Ace and uh, Ace has that interaction about having you know only blowing stuff up on on his terms and stuff like that. Um. It was yeah. uh, it was a great thing, and we got a big explosion out of it, which is always fun. I mean, when we when we covered Power of the Doctor, we we touched upon that, didn't we? And, and I said, like from my memory, that was always the the theme that they had that, that with regards to the explosives. Mm. So obviously, we, you've seen that with Power of the Doctor, but now watching this back, we're actually getting a, a, a actual example of when it aired, I guess, and and the interactions over the explosives. So. Because that yeah. did happen quite a bit from what I remember. Yeah. It was brilliant. And again, we're built, we're, everything's drawing towards a uh, you know another cliffhanger, as, as they always do. But it's it's more around um, the alliance trying to be made and stuff like that. We, but we get a nice explanation from the Doctor to Ace about the nemesis, and it generates destruction. So it's obviously got some degree of willpower. The Doctor says it brings destruction every 25 years, and they use the example of 1913, the eve of World War One, mm-hmm. 1938, Hitler annexing Austria, 1963, Kennedy assassinated, and now they're in 1998, uh, 1988. Um, the only question I have is, what about the, like, 250 years before that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
it's a bit. Uh, I appreciate the effort, though, you know, to tie it into history. Um, and as we move towards sort of the end of the episode, um, Lady uh, Lady Pat Lunch is in there admiring the statue in, in her own, effectively in her own tomb. Um, they only have one arrow left. The Nazis arrive. Richard drags drags her out from the hidden door that she's revealed. The statue's starting to move and clutches the arrow. Uh, Flores is wanting to destroy the Cybermen. The Cybermen turn up and he spouts off about having the power of all life and death in his hands. And the Cybermen, who've obviously scanned the case, just said, well, where's the arrow? <laughs> Sorry, yeah. where's the bow? Where's the bow? Yeah. And he it, it realises it's gone. And what a great thing to bring back to the, uh, to the start of the episode. And the, the cliffhanger comes when the Doctor unveils the thousands of uh, cyber ships around Earth. Yes, and that got a, oh, that's not good, from Charlie when they when they <laughs> appeared. It's like, yeah, a little bit of an understatement there, darling, but okay. Um, it's, you're mentioning about the, the 25-year almost cycle with World War One, World War Two, and so on. I love the fact that they actually touched upon the, the Kennedy assassination and the date because the very first episode of Doctor Who went on air late because of the Kennedy assassination and the BBC's coverage of it. Because it, the Kennedy assassination, I think, it was like the 21st or the 22nd of November, 1963. Yeah. And obviously, the, the very first episode of Doctor Who aired on the 23rd of November. So their coverage of what was going on in the States led to the very first episode of Doctor Who airing late as well. So there's a little tie-in for that with the show and the anniversary and so on as well, which I, I got a little kick out of that. That's that's fantastically meta. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I love I love that. Just like I hope that was it. again. I hope it was intentional. Um, just yeah, real good stuff. Um, but coming into the the third episode, I like the fact that they address. They've got a bit of self awareness um, from uh, from Lady Pab's blue ribbon, uh, saying that she doesn't know why Richard saved her, and she's basically just a dickhead to him. Yeah, this was a bit. It was it was nice and done well, I thought, because from what we know of this character, this is out of character for her. But it yeah. didn't feel weird. It's almost like she had literally had a moment of realization in front of us, which I thought. Uh, and bear in mind, we've these episodes are what twenty five minutes long, twenty four minutes long, whatever, and she's not on screen as a constant throughout all of that time. Mm. We've not spent masses of. TV minutes as a viewer with this character, but yet it still really felt real and really felt uh, like she was having this, like, like I said, a realization to how she has behaved, which I genuinely bought into despite not knowing this character well because of the lack of minutes, I suppose. You say lack of minutes, but she's obviously maximised the minutes in that we know that this is out of character and it's some form of personal yeah. growth. Or it would have been if it actually went anywhere. Yeah. Which it doesn't. Because then she just goes back to treating people like crap again. Yeah. And again, it just kind of... There are quite a few moments in... You've got the main story, as I said. And then there's just... For want of a better phrase it just seems like sometimes there's just a bunch of stuff happening for no real reason. But again, it's one of those points where I'm just like, if we'd have had a little bit more time or if it had been, mm. you know, if it had been feature length, if it had been an hour and a half or an hour and 20, they could have put a little thing in there and a bit more here and a bit more there. If they'd have 
cut out the bullshit that comes in later on with the American lady that feels like a really bad attempt at comedy. Yeah. I mean, it, with it, regards it, to that, sorry, yeah. that, with, with regards to that, um, I mean, effectively, we're, we're sort of motoring through the last part now, aren't we? We have uh the doctor is in the tomb and he's got hold of the bow now and the the tape that is playing the the jazz music to block the signal to the cyber fleet stops so they're going to be on their way soon as well uh, but eventually everyone's going to meet at this one location where nemesis is which is in the tomb isn't it dan is that correct it is yeah um yes. well, well no sorry no it's not uh, the doctor takes it to uh, to the hangar Oh yes, of course, yes. Um, from before, it's um, one thing I did like though. Nemesis is is kind of activating a bit. Um, oh no, that's it. Nemesis activates a bit, sets off pyro like Kane coming out of the ring. Um, <laughs> lady, lady, uh, lady. I've got a blank again. Anyway, she realizes that that's Nemesis coming alive, and the Doctor takes the uh, takes the asteroid slash capsule to the hangar and, and drags essentially drags nemesis there mm. that's how it comes about um yes yeah, so and everyone everyone is then heading to this location aren't they yeah. and for, almost like for a effectively like a final standoff i suppose the nazis are arriving the sidemen are arriving and um lady poodle or whatever and richard end up hitchhiking to this location oh, it, it's painful and this is when we have the scene in the the limo or the big American car, anyway, with the American tourist who has traced uh, this bit. I did like because she has traced her family tree back. This American tourist and is talking about people who lived in that area mm. hundreds of years ago that obviously were in Richard and and Lady Penfold's time, and yeah. she's turning around and talking about them uh, as in the real person because she was aware of them. Whereas this other person thinks that she has just researched her family tree quite arrogantly. That mm. that I quite enjoyed. That's that's the good side of that. The other side of it is they're trying to play off the uh, the silly American angle, and it's just not it's just not hitting because it's kind of when you're trying to parody something, there's a fine line between parody and just be and just doing the thing you're mocking. Yes, and in this case, they've just made her a dumb self-centered American. Yeah, yeah, this is true, and that's why none of the none of the comedy lands, you know, when she's you know when she's patronizingly tapping uh, Lady Paddleboard on the on the leg and <laughs> saying we sure do, and it's like oh, just go away. Mm. You're not you are not necessary for this story. Um, it, it was mildly amusing at points, but n- nothing more than that. And most of it just they kept going back to it as well. I'm like, not again. Mm, yeah, that I think you're right when you say that time could have been used a bit better yeah and it's a real shame because it's the first sort of major miss in in, in the three parts so far but it, it feels like it took up a lot of time yes totally oh, yeah it went on for a while but then at least we get later on we get ace in the gantry with a pocket full of gold coins flinging them at sidemen and taking them out well i was going to ask you about this because Ace gets the gold coins because the Doctor and, and Ace head back to 1638 again. Mm-hmm. And they're in um, Lady uh, Penfold's house. And that's where they get the gold coins from that Ace then uses as a weapon against the Cybermen in like the, the final battle, so to speak. Why did they go back to 1638 in the first place? Uh, I think they went back there to make sure that the bow couldn't fall, couldn't be given to the Nemesis. 
because that's the one that's the one place they know that think uh, that they can't follow the others, you know, the other parties. Um, so that's the only thing I can guess. And then the doctor's looking at the chessboard. He's he's obviously timing it down to something. Mm. And and then he says to us, "I'll oh, grab those gold coins as well." So whether it was just to give him time to think, I don't know. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, ultimately, we're in the, the, this this hangar. This almost it's almost like a big industrial warehouse kind of building, isn't it? I suppose in yeah. appearance, and. The nemesis arrives where the doctor is, glowing very, very brightly, and and so on. It's quite a spectacular effect when you look at the the grey drab industrial setting they're in. Dan, I think, wasn't it? Mm. Yeah, it was. It, again, not the best effects, but it's nineteen eighty eight or yes. whenever it was released, so you can forgive it. And we do get a little bit of interaction because it turns out the nemesis can speak, mm-hmm. and uh, the nemesis is acting. Uh, the doctor's giving instructions, and then the nemesis asks for for its freedom. And the doctor says, not yet. It's, things are still imperfect. Again, just mm. dropping a hint that something more's going on. Yeah, almost like that. Almost like there's going to be more later on. But I mean, we, we have a whole another season after this as well, don't we? This is season 25. Yeah, true. So, yeah, it's a bit of an odd one for me. A bit open-ended. But ultimately then we, we have we have this final battle. The Cybermen arrive. Ace says that she is going to distract them so the Doctor can carry on doing what he needs to do, uh, which isn't 100% explained at the time, but you kind of get the gist of him working on something, don't you? Yeah, you do. You do. Yeah, it's um, it's all a bit cloak and dagger. Yes. Uh, Ace has a slingshot, a, an almost old-school Bass Street Kids, Dennis the Menace kind of style catapult effort. You know you can um, still buy those. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some of them are like, ridiculously expensive and fire stuff for huge distances my granddad's got a couple because he used to use them to just fire stuff at, um, at birds that were pecking at his veg patch oh <laughs> uh, okay <laughs> was it gold coins god no is he, is he, is he Yorkshire he's not going to waste money like that fair enough fair enough um, I liked this even if I mean this is a reoccurring theme I suppose that I potentially should have brought up earlier on in our talk the Cybermen in this episode, I think, come across quite weak. Mm. They're killed very easily, and they're killed on a very regular basis when they should be this scary, terrifying race. And, and Charlie herself said that the Cybermen seem to die quite easily here. But it does lead to this scene where Ace is battling numerous Cybermen in this industrial setting and running around railings and um, uh, big big staircases and, and, and so on, shooting these gold coins at the Cybermen and their chest panels are exploding. And we get the ridiculous over-the-top Cyberman way of dying where they just kind of go, <laughs> and fall down dead. That sounds like me negotiating a tricky shit. <laughs> uh, but I mean, as as almost... It was almost ridiculous as this is, because it's one teenage girl with a catapult battling numerous killing soldiers and winning. I still really liked this. It was a fun set piece. It was a really fun set piece. It makes Ace look badass. Yes, it makes the Cybermen look weak, but for the purposes of this story, why not? The Cybermen have already said that they're sort of... If this play, if this fails, then the whole you know cyber race could be doomed. So they're obviously desperate, maybe not at the best. Okay. 
Yeah, um, okay. so, that makes sense. Yeah, I haven't got much of a problem with that. And then uh, just the fact that it leads to big convergence because she's not just running around willy nilly. She's dr- she's drawing them away so the doctor can do his thing, and then she ends up on the gantry. She's got three of them, and she's only got one coin. Yes. Um, she ducks down so that two kill each other, and then she gets the third one. Again, great set piece. And then as she runs back into the hangar, um, she's caught by two of them. And we have this great, we have this great standoff, and the you know the sad man's calling the doctor's bluff when he the doctor says he'll destroy the boat, and you know how are you going to destroy it? You can't, you've got no means to. And the doctor says, well, I'd arrange to have the boat placed behind a rocket sled, and he puts it on the floor, and then I have it test fire at a pre-arranged time, and it goes off and burns the Cybermen. Yes, very clever. I like the way he uses his umbrella as well to hook Ace and put her out of the way. Well, that was a bit of revenge as well, because when he was looking at the Queen and, the, and Ace was trying to get him to hide, she used the hook of the umbrella to pull him back. Yes. <laughs> yeah, loved all of that. A great little, great little way to do things. But again, it just it leads to the big confrontation. That was only the first part of it. Cyberman, who's up on the gantry, has only a tiny fleck of gold on him and gets up. Flores, the Nazis, turn up and take the bow. And Lady uh, Lady Piss Whistle and Richard arrive. <laughs> Piss Whistle. <laughs> I was going to save that for the end, but I couldn't think of anything else. Um, and yeah, we just get that. You know, Lady Lady Penfort, uh, Penfort and, and Simon both think the Doctor is their pawn. Mm. And we get all the stuff about you know Lady Penfort revealing the Doctor's secrets and all that. The Cybermen want the Nemesis, so does she. And the Doctor gives the bow to the Cybermen. Because he says that he's lost. Which I thought was a really... It's that moment where, no, surely not. Yeah, it's... Again, it's that kind of, you're up to something here, we are just waiting for the reveal kind of aspect, aren't we? Yeah, very much so. Very much so. And the only the only gripe I have with this ending is that the Cybermen give the Nemesis the bow, which we're led to believe means that the nemesis is then under their control. Yeah. But the nemesis decides to ignore them and carry out the doctor's instructions. Yeah. And and also we, we have um, Lady Pomegranate jumping into the nemesis and almost turning into nemesis, being engulfed by nemesis and so on. That bit I didn't quite get on with either. Yeah. It, it's a shame that it's kind of got a little bit weaker towards the end. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah totally. Ultimately, it's still a pretty good. It's still a pretty good episode, and we see then before the nemesis shoots off, uh, Lady Poop shoot jumps into the uh, into the <laughs> nemesis like chamber and effectively becomes one with the statue. Yeah, it's a bit weird. Yeah, but it's again, it's kind of stuff that I'd almost expect to happen. Mm. But the, again, they haven't taken the time to explain it. So maybe it did need a, either a fourth part or less allusions to certain things. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. I do like the throwback. I mean, there's a couple of throwbacks in this with regards to moments in the story happening that then become relevant later on. And one of them is obviously the the, the, the arrows being fired at the TARDIS when the, when the Doctor and Ace escape earlier on in the story one of the arrows is still in the door. Yes, and, that's very clever. Yes, and Richard grabs this last arrow 
which is obviously gold tipped and stabs it in the remaining Cyberman's chest to to end basically end any peril that we now have because the Nazis are dealt with um, the Nazis were basically killed off by the Cybermen the Cybermen are being destroyed by Nemesis itself, it flies off and uh, smashes into the Cyber fleet and we have numerous explosions and so on very 80s sci-fi special effects and Richard kills the last Cyberman and then the Doctor and Ace say they'll give him a lift home so it all kind of gets tidied up quite quickly with a nice little bow on top I think yeah, it does. It's a nice, yeah, it's a nice ending. So a couple of things left open ended, um, but yeah, that's that. It was, it was a very enjoyable thing. I'm gutted we didn't get to see the full, uh, the full shot that you were thinking of that scared the pants off you. Mm. Yeah, I think looking back now, having watched it now, the Cybermen walking through the grass and getting shot at by the Nazis mm. quite early on is very close to what I remember. Right. And they just carry on relentlessly walking towards the gunfire and it's not affecting them. That's very, very close to what I remember. But I also had memories kind of um, rejigged or, or, or sort of brought back to me when Ace was on the the stairs, the, the, the metal stairs in, in, in the warehouse. Ah, right, and okay. the Cybermen were stalking her across there in that kind of slightly darker setting. So I think it's a combination of these things probably set me off as a kid, I expect. so. <laughs> yeah, that's fair enough. But ultimately, I think this was actually a very good story. Um, okay. You know, not, not, I suppose we can just launch into the, the final thoughts, really. Um, I thought it was a very good story. There were a few things that I would have preferred to have seen more of. Uh, you know, had a bit more explanation. But... You know, sometimes the mysteries are more fun and, and things better left unanswered. Because if I was to watch this at the time, I'd be thinking, I can't wait to see where this goes. Mm. I, I feel bad if I judge it based on, well, I know this doesn't get answered. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, it hit a lot of, hit a lot of, um, lot of good points for me. The brushes with history, the bounce around the time zones, the multiple storylines converging and separating, converging, separating. Um, a few nitpicks, as I said, and, and maybe not the... Maybe not the strongest story, but um, but yeah. If if, if I was, I'm going to do something a little bit different this series, I'm going to try and keep a numerical record of what I'd give each one out of ten, and then I'm going to use and then I'm going to use that at the end to assist in my wrap up. Okay, interesting because just before we sat down to record and had all our stupid farty internet problems, I asked Charlie for some final thoughts on this story. Okay. And she, completely of her own making, said, if I had to give it a rating out of 10, so she's obviously thinking the same way that you are, Dan. Mm. She said, if I had to give it a rating out of 10, compared to what else I have seen, which may be a bit unfair, because everything she has seen apart from this is new who. She said she would give it a four. Okay, that's mean. But. But I understand. <laughs> something else she said really surprised me. I said, where does Sylvester McCoy stand up in comparison to the other Doctors you have seen? Now, she's obviously only seen New Who. And she's only obviously seen McCoy for this one particular story. Mm. No one's going to touch David Tennant for her. No one's going to get near near Tennant. And she's also quite fond of Whitaker because that's the one we're working our way through at the moment. Yeah. But she says that McCoy doesn't stand up against the likes of Tennant, Smith, Whitaker, Capaldi. But she thinks that she preferred McCoy's doctor to Eccleston. Really? And that really surprised me. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. But her favorite aspect was Ace. 
She said Ace was fantastic. She loved Ace. Yeah. She loved the kind of she's a proper badass kind of character. So yeah, I can yeah I can understand that because that's what you know that's what I like about Ace as well. Mm. So I can like you know I can only imagine what it's like for you know for a young lass to watch a character like that. Yes, yes, definitely, mm. and I, I love it as well because we like I said earlier on in the episode we've got one episode left of New Who. And it is Power of the Doctor. That's all we've got left to watch now. Oh, she's going to so, lose her mind. So, of course, Ace is in it and McCoy is in it as well. So I was really glad that we got to watch this before we press play on that. So hopefully by the time we sit down to record our next episode, I'll have a little bit of feedback on that from her as well. So I'd love to be a fly on the wall when you're watching that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, so as I was saying before, my, my numerical rating, if I was to go with that, I'd put this at a good solid seven. Okay. Interesting. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. See, if I was, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably sit somewhere in between Charlie's four and your seven. I'd probably go something like a five and a half, six. Okay. It's I, I try not to get carried away too much with the nostalgia factor mm. of it being what I watched as a kid. But what upsets me in a way is that whenever we've watched Sylvester McCoy's Doctor, it's never been as good as some of the other classic who we've watched in the same series. Okay. And that almost sort of disappoints me because this was what I grew up watching. Like Sylvester McCoy, he is my doctor because of the mm. timing of it, but he's not my doctor as in he's my favorite. He's my doctor that I watched. And I think as a grown up, part of that shine of the Sylvester McCoy era has kind of been worn away a little bit mm. by how much great doctor who we've watched elsewhere. Maybe. Potentially, yeah. Um, I don't have, well, I suppose the only attachment I have to McCoy is that he was in the start of the movie when I was a kid. Yes. Uh, which isn't a whole lot. So, and I'm, I may be getting carried away with the fact that we're back for a new season and, you know, it's the first Doctor I've watched in a while. Uh, but I'd stand by it. I'd yeah, stand by my seven. Might change my mind before I come to the rankings, but we'll see. Fair enough. Um, speaking of the rankings and stuff in the future, what are we looking at next week, Dan? So next week, we're going to my first selection. We're sticking with Classic Who, and we are going to John Pertwee and Carnival of Monsters. Ah, interesting. Okay. Love a bit of Pertwee. Love a bit of Pertwee. Ah, great stuff. Right. I have had a wonderful time once again talking Doctor Who with you, Dan. It has been brilliant. I've enjoyed Sylvester McCoy and Ace for what it is, and I know we've got some brilliant stories coming up. I'm, I'm glad we're back doing this, my friend. Before we depart, however, do you want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find your good self online and all the wonderful shows and content you are involved in? Yeah, it's been a great time. Glad to be back. <laughs> Glad to still be around to be back. <laughs> <laughs> just to put another mention of that in there, I promise I won't talk about my heart problems every week. Um, but yeah, just quickly uh, to wrap it up, uh, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, usually tweeting about wrestling that's a minimum six weeks out of date on movies that are 25 years out of date. If you want to hear more of me, I'm on Unbooking the Territory at UTT Podcast where we look at the first and last of professional wrestling. And we have a couple of side projects, uh, the first one being Unbooking the Tankatory at UTT Tank, where we look at the life and times and the WCW career of legitimately the hardest man that ever lived, Mr. David Tank Abbott. And we've got another project coming up, which could be out by the time this airs or might still be incoming. We're not sure yet. It's called Unputting the Territory, where we look at the only time a wrestling championship has changed hands in legitimate sporting competition. Rob has talked me into watching the Being the Elite Gator Golf Tournament. Hmm. 
brilliant. <laughs> it's ridiculous. And we, we did a bracketology episode to uh, just before it's like a preview, and I am getting far too into it when my picks don't win. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, anything I am involved in, you can find via the network that carries this show. So that's SJP World Media. Uh, we have so much great stuff. It, it takes too long to list wrestling, nostalgia, um, wrestling, modern day covering tv shows such as this show we have a a show looking at quantum leap called the waiting room so much going on and more shows coming all the time different genres different types different subject matters that i like to think there is something for everyone via the sjp world media network and you can find that on all your podcast players platforms and providers and on facebook and twitter at sjp world media but most importantly you can find this show itself on facebook and twitter that's at the Doctor Who pod. That's at the D-R-W-H-O-P-O-D, at the Doctor Who pod. Dan, it's been a blast, my friend. I look forward to talking to you again next week. See you when we're attending the Carnival of Monsters. And to everyone else, as always, thank you for listening. I can't believe neither of us called the Lady Penis Fart. It was right there. <laughs> Okay. Is it working? Hang on. Come on then, start recording. There we go. You still there? Yep, still here. Fuck a duck. We won't be on something here, pal. <laughs> why, <laughs> why are you always encouraging me to shag poultry? <laughs> there was a TV program that was on the other night, and it, I don't know what it was. It was quite an old one, um, and somebody said, fuck a duck on it, and I was like, holy shit, there's somebody else who says it. <laughs> And then you, and then you, then your lungs collapsed. Yes, indeed. I need to stop vaping. I think, mate. Yeah, I'm not gonna, but I think I need to. <laughs> Dude, don't don't wait until these things are too late. I nearly did that. Yeah, that's a fair point. I don't smoke cigarettes anymore. So that's a good thing. Yeah, you're getting there. I haven't done that for many, many years. But there we go. Right, I'm gonna start. Before before the internet fucks off again. Indeed. Indeed. Right. We've got to try and tie this up before United kick off, because I want to see Brighton destroy us. Yeah, rattle through it. Come on. Yeah. Okay. Three, two, one. Oh, do you hear my shoulder click then? You're wanting to rattle through this. Are you going to get going or not? Yeah, sorry. I'll do it now. <laughs>